0: Accredited by Guinness World Records, welcome to Archival Television Audio, Incorporated. A peerless TV soundtrack archive, preserving the audio from television's first three decades, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the golden and silver age of television.
1: For more information, go to atvaudio.com. Hi, this is Penny Kaiser and you're
0: listening to TV Confidential.
1: Ed Roberts with a reminder that we will replay our conversation with Emmy Award-winning writer-producer William Link later on in this hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, and speaking of television writer-producers, Paul Robert Coyle is with us via Zoom. Paul's memoir, Sword Starships and Superheroes, from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, is not only the story of Paul's 40-plus year journey as a writer, story editor, and producer for television, but it includes many useful lessons on how to pursue a career as a professional writer, whether you want to write for television or any other form store, starships and superheroes available in paperback and as an ebook through Jacobs Brown Media Group. You can also find it at Amazon.com wherever books are sold online. Another life lesson speaking to chips, another life lesson and this is this is an important thing to bear in mind whether you write for television or any other form of writing. Everybody gets edited. In television, everybody gets notes, and one of the things you learn as a result of chips is you got to pay attention to notes.
0: Uh, yes, uh, and I didn't in that case, in that particular case, that was the story. And that was a story that I went up and drove around with Bob Bondurant uh, for. So I had sold that story, and uh, it had to do with the cops going undercover. Um, that was the Cy Tremacker uh, episode. Mm-hmm. So he was a producer of that show. I pitched to Cy... And immediately after I got an assignment, he turned me over to his team, of story editors. I never saw Cy again. <laughs> I think I ran into him on the set one day. But So I worked with the story editors. So uh, so I did the story, and I did, I turned in the story outline, and, and I got notes on that, and then I went to script. So now I turned in the first draft of the script, based on the story outline that I had written. And I got a call from the uh, two story editors, and uh, they're very flattering very oh this is the, this is the best freelance script we've gotten you know <laughs> this is excellent work uh you know i was really my head was swelling and they had some suggestions for the rewrite I, you know i owed them a polish at that point all right but they didn't tell me over the phone they said well we're going to send you a few pages and uh think about adapting these notes it was a very low-key kind of thing as i say very flattering i liked what i wrote and uh they had they were sending me some notes to incorporate into the rewrite so i so i received the notes some of which are very simple and some of which were more extensive and would require ripping the story apart and reconstructing it and i felt well that's what we should have done back at the outline where they didn't raise these objections back then now they want to turn it into something else but what but they liked it they seemed to like it so much so And they didn't, they didn't seem insistent on those changes over the phone, so I basically made the mistake of ignoring not all of them, but I, I'm saying, why should I rip the story apart and turn it into something else if they were happy with what I turned in? So I made a certain number of changes, and I sent that in, and then a week uh, goes by or so, and I get, the, I get the shooting script in the mail with my name on it, but it's but ex- heavily rewritten, to incorporate all of their notes. All right, so, oh, well now it's something different. It's, uh, <laughs> and I learned my lesson that I should have made those changes because Chips is their show, not mine. Yeah. Right, and uh, it, it turned out to into a very good show, but I never got another Chips assignment after that because I, I'm sure they felt, they, although the show ran for uh, another four or five years and every year I would call to come in and pitch, and they were they were, oh, I'm sorry, Paul, we're full up right now. And I'm sure that's because they thought that I didn't know how to follow directions, and in fact, I hadn't <laughs> I made the mistake of not taking their suggestions seriously.
1: Which which goes back to yes, okay, that was a serious mistake, but you're still very early in your career. I mean, you're not 30 at this point, you know, so it's like oh, you no, you're learn, no, yeah. you know, you're, it's, it's a reminder that as talented as you were at such a young age, as gifted as you were, as wise as you were beyond your years at the time, you were still very young and, you know, you were prone to mistakes and fortunately you were able to recover from those mistakes. You may not have worked on Chips again, but you worked on a lot of other shows yes. and we are all very grateful for that. Paul Robert Coyle's memoir is Sword, Starships, and Superheroes, from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, a TV writer's life scripting the stories of heroes. Available jacosbrownmedia.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Okay, I want to contrast the situation with Chips, with your experience with Peter Falk and Columbo. And to me, the takeaway from your experience working with Falk on Columbo is don't be afraid to walk away from a situation that is going nowhere. Don't be afraid to cut your losses. <laughs> all right. So I was a fan of Columbo, you know, from
0: uh, early on, from all the NBC uh, years. And um, then now they were bringing it back for ABC, or they had brought it back for ABC in its second uh, wave of episodes. All right. Um, this is in the 1980s. And I wrote a sp- even though I, by that point, I was successful writing a, an assignments and getting into shows and, and pitching, and i already been on staff at Crazy Like Fox, I wanted to do Columbo. And they, they ran an episode that I particularly liked with uh, Shatner as a guest star.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is not the original NBC version. This is the ABC version. the ABC version. ABC versions, yeah. right. And I said, oh, you know, I should, why don't I just write a spec Columbo? Like, just as I wrote specs early on, I, you know, you never give up writing them. You, you, right. So I, wrote a, I sat down, I wrote a spec Columbo. My agent, my agent at the time was very good at getting uh, scripts into the hands of producers. Got it to the guy at Universal who had worked with Peter Fox since Columbo began in the late 60s. At this point, Columbo was not a a regular series. It was a series of two-hour movies of the week. That Falk did at his own leisure. There was no set, there weren't necessarily four or six a season. He did them, uh, and it was kind of petering out. Of the, it was toward the end of that run. Yeah. But nevertheless, the, the, the guy at Universal recommended it to Peter Falk, and Peter read it and liked it. And so I'm called into a meeting directly with Peter Falk, who had the executive producer title, were no more writer-producers in charge of Columbo at at that point. Everybody, Lincoln Levinson and Peter Fisher, all these guys who were done, and Phil Saltzman, who was there briefly. Uh, That was kind of, yeah, you know, when Phil went on staff over there during the ABC, uh, he was just there briefly. But the fact that he was there, I think, though, that inspired me probably to write the Columbo because I knew he would read it. But by that point, he was gone. Uh, but the other universal guy came through, and, and so next thing I know I'm on my way to meet with Peter Falk at his house in Beverly Hills. So we proceed to have a meeting in his garage, which he uses as, as an artist studio slash office. And uh, you know, he liked the script, it was about a, a film critic who murders a, a director whose uh, career he had championed, uh, and uh, I had pitched James L. Jones to be the guest star murderer, right? right. And Peter liked that idea. So this meeting rambles on for hours with Peter liking the script, but, you know, it doesn't quite, you know, it doesn't completely work for him. There are some problems, but he really wants to do this, so we're putting our heads together, and uh, so at the end of uh, hours, I, you know, I can reach the point where we weren't solving the problems in the room. So I said, well, let me think about it and then get back to you. Oh, I, oh absolutely. Probably. We'll meet again or call my, uh, the, my assistant. And he, he had an office suite at universal uh, still, and uh, we'll get together anytime uh, you want. And she'll, she'll put you through to me whenever. So that's what I did. And I did some further thinking on it. And we had another meeting at his house. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember a second meeting that went on for hours. Again, he really wants to do this. He really likes it, but, uh, the, we gotta do it differently somehow. Well he, he weren't it wasn't coming
1: he wasn't coming up with suggestions the way a trained writer, producer would, you know? Yeah, he was he was approaching it. I mean, this is the one thing I've learned about Peter Falk through talking to Mark DeWitziak and Everett Chambers and William Link and people who work with him is that he took an actor's approach to the character. He took a Broadway stage actor's approach to the character where he rehearsed, he did take after take until he got it the way he wanted to. And it sounds like he sort of took that actor's approach to writing, but he didn't have another writer or another writer-producer to bounce off of, and that's where sort of the creative process stagnated when he he produced the show.
0: It was certainly stagnated into those meetings (laughs) and further phone conversations I had with him. Yeah, And by the way... (laughs) But at that point, I should have been paid. I mean, they're they're allowed one meeting, they're calling you back for a second meeting. That, by Writers Guild rules, is a commitment, right? So I should have been paid at that point. And the phone phone conversations we were having also constituted meetings. But I felt we were getting nowhere. Peter was a charming guy, and uh, it was like meeting with Columbo. It it was frustrating because he's driving you nuts, right? Yeah driving me nuts. I'm sorry. And finally, I'm saying, I said, you know, and and I would, to the extent that I would mention it to him, you know, Peter, you know, we should really, I should really have a contract here. Oh, uh, that's right. Oh, of course. So I'll get right on that. And I'll I'll have the office. uh, But that never happened. And finally, I just gave up.
1: Well, (laughs) you know, going back to uh, you realized this is not going anywhere. And so you were not afraid to walk away. And sometimes you have to do that.
0: Well, I had to do that, and they—they they really only made one or two Columbos after that. And the series died soon after that, anyway, yeah. because there was no creative force in charge of it. Yeah,
1: he—he he did not have eleven. I mean, he used in the early days. It is my understanding that the first couple of years, especially Peter, fought with uh, uh, Levinson and Link almost every day, every page, every script. But when it and when they left the show after a couple of years, Falk. he he paid them one of the best compliments possible is that he basically said, I need you. And uh, which, you know, he may not have realized at the time when he was fighting with them, but he recognized that they were making the show better and they were making him better. And he didn't have that sort of strong producer towards the end of the Columbo run. But let me just emphasize, yes, it was, that, that turned out to be a dead end. You know, as far as your professional career, but I loved the chapter that you spent writing about it because it's kind of it's fun. It was not no, fun at no, the no, time, but it's fun to read.
0: Some of these, yeah, some of the worst things that happened to you make for the most entertaining reading. Yeah, that, that was not the worst. The worst thing that happened to me, it was. It was so, Peter was not difficult. He wasn't giving me a hard time. No, he was he being was just indecisive and rambling. And uh, and by the way, I did some writing. I mean, I did put things in writing as far as changes go and revisions. I didn't rewrite the entire script, but I was submitting stuff that I should have been paid for. Technically, if, if this guy was executive producer, he should be playing by the writer's old rules, right? He didn't know any better. Yeah. He was a great actor on camera and uh, in charge of the show. Unfortunately, uh, the, the show died soon after that. Oh. I'm sorry it wasn't made. I still think it was a good script. It would have made a good episode.
1: But- yeah, and and the fact that it would have been a first for the series because they had never had an african-american murderer and uh you had written for james earl jones at the time so that brought that that brought an authenticity that uh would have elevated the show paul robert coyle's memoir is sword starships and superheroes from star trek to xena to hercules a tv writer's life scripting the stories of heroes stay with us folks we'll be right back We could spend another hour talking about your career with Xena and Hercules. We'll do that after the first of the year. Um, But in the meantime, final question for now, and this goes back to the many practical lessons that you pass on to people who, who think about a career, whether they want to write for television or write for any other form of writing. A rejection or a turndown is better, even if it's a one-sentence down. That's better than no response at
0: all. Oh, yes. Well, when you send scripts to, to people who agree to read them, you know, more than half the time, you just never hear anything back. You don't know if they read it or if they read it and they didn't like it. Or you just, you know, but a turn down is at least an acknowledgement that they put the effort into reading it, and very often they give you helpful notes that you may be able to <laughs> put to use uh, later on. So a rejection letter, so to speak, you just learn from it and you go on you, you know once you get 50 of them I guess you maybe you start thinking about giving up at some point but you're gonna get more rejection, an actor is gonna audition and get more turndowns than he than he gets he or she gets the part, so yeah, and, rejection doesn't kill you. No, it doesn't kill you
1: and remember you have to look at it like they didn't reject you, they selected somebody else. They selected another writer, they selected another actor. In some cases they may have rejected you because they selected one by Paul Robert Coyle. But so many times when you send things out as a freelancer, a lot sometimes you get a response back. More often than not you send it out there, and it just dies in the ether. So even if even, even if you just get a one sentence handwritten response, at least you know that they read it, or receipt they received it and they read it.
0: Yes, and I always appreciated that. Nowadays, you submit things electronically; it just goes into the cyberspace, and you you never know where it went. You know.
1: Well, we appreciate we always appreciate any opportunity to have you on our program, Paul. We certainly appreciate the heart and soul that you put in swords, starships, and superheroes from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, a TV writer's life scripting the stories of heroes. We'll have Paul back later in 2021. We'll talk about his experience working on Xena, working on Hercules, working on Stephen King's The Dead Zone, and uh, some of the other things that he's worked on in the second half of his career. But in the meantime, swords, starships, and superheroes, Available in paperback and as an e-book through jacobsbrownmediagroup.com, amazon.com, where books are sold online. Paul, Robert, Coyle, always a pleasure. We'll look forward to our next conversation. Oh, uh,
0: Happy holidays, Ed. Uh, thanks for everything.
1: Speaking of Peter Falk and Colombo, we will replay our conversation with William Link, the Emmy Award-winning co-creator of Columbo. when we come back on TV Confidential. You can now listen to TV Confidential on your smart
0: speaker by just saying, Alexa? Play TV Confidential. Enabling our Alexa skill is easy. To find out how, go to televisionconfidential.com slash Alexa.
1: 45 Years of the Rockford Files, revised, third edition. The complete history of the Rockford Files on television, now completely updated with more than 20 new interviews, additional photographs, and a whole lot more. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, available now at rockford45.com, rockford forty-five.